welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, the podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and I have got another young gun on the show today. We've been going down this pathway a fair bit recently, so I've got an Australian golf professional on the line today, Bree Webb. Thanks for coming in and talking to me, Bree. No worries at all, Brent. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. It's um, As people have heard me say the last few weeks, I'm getting people that are blowing up my social feed with all their content and all their, their good posts out there, and I always um, see you putting good stuff out there, so I'm keen to have a chat today and talk a bit about you and your experiences and um, your plans for the future, which we've kind of chatted quickly about off-air, off but um, we'll explore that during the podcast. But for those that don't know you, can you give us a bit of a background of, of who you are? Um, so I am a PGA professional, uh, currently up in Cairns in far north Queensland, uh, beautiful one day, sunny the next. It's, um, yeah, it's gorgeous up here. So I've been up here four years now, uh, after graduating from my time down in Brisbane, um, went through a couple of clubs down there, got some really good experience, um, obviously through the PGA of Australia, helping me through my traineeship and now I am in the middle of a Bachelor of Psychology uh, looking to expand on what I'm doing with sort of coaching and, and in the golf space. Psychology, that's a, that's a curious topic, but we'll, we'll we'll certainly get to that as we go through. Um, I think you may be a little bit crazy when it comes to going down that path for your study, so it's a fair, fairly significant pathway and a whole lot of work to be done. But yeah. um no, that, that is really cool, but we'll certainly get to that. But you brought up the trainee program then. It's kind of a, a common question I ask um, the women coaches that come on the show is your experience in the trainee program because as we've spoken about in the past, you're traditionally thrown into a program that's predominantly male-based. Um, there's only a handful of females in the program across the whole country. So how was that experience for you? Um, it wasn't a far out experience for me. I grew up in a small country town in Victoria. Um, there were maybe a dozen to 20 of us in the golf program and there were less than six girls and myself and my younger sister made up two of those. (laughs) So I was pretty used to being in a fairly male dominated space, um, when I was 15, mum and dad moved me up to Hills International Boarding School. Um, so, you know, much more golfy environment, but still the, the guys have always outnumbered the girls in that sort of golf space. Uh, so it wasn't anything I didn't expect. I, I had a pretty rough go on my playing, to be honest. Um, and that was, that was a really interesting uh, learning curve for me. I don't think competing against the boys had anything to do with that. Um, and I even get people ask me now, you know, what do you think of, of the guys and the girls being in the same prize pool? I'm like, I'm all for it. You know, the girls play off the women's tees to the women's par. Okay. We are just as capable of shooting good scores as the boys, right? We're, we're good golfers. Um, but, you know, the boys being that majority do come out more often than not. Um, but we, we're still up in the running there. Like in my last year, I, I made a little bit of cash and it was, it was really nice. Um, and that was just because I got my own stuff together and started playing better golf um, and started meeting my peers instead of, you know, just carrying on and, and playing to, you know, a, a female playing standard really. Um, they, they have that, that lesser expectation of us, I think, and I don't always see that as a good and positive thing. Um, I think striving to meet the boys and, and compete against, you know, those that are our peers is is really um really a good thing and not always across every sport but golf you know playing from a slightly further forward tee we we have just just as much opportunity so you know some sort of handicapping does does need to happen but in the same prize pool is is fair enough what were your thoughts because we just had that tournament recently where they had the the women and the the guys and the juniors essentially in the same same field, same same prize pool, same tournament in that player series. It was up at, up at Cobram um, just recently. Did you happen to catch any of that? 
I didn't catch too much of that. Unfortunately, I was working the whole time and we don't get the channels in the golf shop, but, you know, following along on just the websites and that sort of stuff. I, I think it's fantastic. I think it is absolutely fantastic to see, you know, you see tennis where they're bringing the women's prize pool up to the men's and, and that sort of stuff. Like just, just throw them all in together. Throw them all in together and, you know, yes, that little bit of handicapping definitely helps with the further forward tees, et cetera, but have at it. Like if you're not up there but you're motivated to win, you, you'll find a way. You'll work harder, you'll, you'll grind and, and get what you need to done. Makes sense, makes sense. Um, so just quickly on the trainee program, and we've had this chat with a few of the female graduates recently, that the academic side is generally – stronger part when you guys come through the program um always mark always enjoy marking the assignments that come through uh from the from the female trainees as opposed to some of the guys because they're a little bit slacker on the on the work but how did you find getting able to being able to do the the schoolwork side of things and the playing and the full-time work it's a it's a challenging space sometimes to get that all in um going at the same time yeah, yeah oh, it's it's definitely a uh, balancing act um, and one I've clearly continued through. Um, you've yeah, you've got to manage your time and that's you, you talk to you know the next lot of um, juniors and, and elite amateurs that are looking at that PGA pathways program and you just got to sit them down and go, okay, please understand. I know right now that you you're working full time, you're practicing a bit and you're, you're playing some golf on the weekends and, and you're playing real well but man once you are in that shop for 38 hours a week eating sleeping breathing golf playing you know your assessment rounds and then all of your tournament rounds as well as you know your golf heavy study um it, it it's a lot um but i quite liked it because it all kind of feeds into one another and you know just prioritizing and maybe I probably didn't prioritize my golf as much as I could have which is maybe why I didn't win as much prize money I put a little bit more into the academic side of things but yeah I, I quite enjoy the academic side of things which is why I've continued with further learning. Yeah, which is cool, and I suppose you have to you have to choose, don't you, at the start? And you obviously had in your head that you were going to go down a certain pathway as opposed to a, a playing pathway. So you just did what you have to do to pass the playing. And I mean, I remember the first um, training school we we sat down for, and I cannot even remember who the lecturer was. It may have even been yourself or Brock Greenhold from the Queensland PGA sat us down and went, "Okay, you, you're sitting." day one, you know, first training school of the next three years, where do you imagine your pathway being? You know, do you want to be a tournament player? Put your hand up and a couple little hands go up here or there. Do you want to be a teaching pro? A couple little and, – and you saw, you know, you've got a lot of different pathways between teaching and playing and um, managing golf courses. That is a massive, massive project. Um, that having the PGA background definitely helps you with. Um, and it was just interesting to see the, the guys, there were a lot more hands up for being a teaching, uh, a, sorry, a playing professional at, you know, day one, year one. Um, the graduates obviously decrease as we go through. Um, I think I started with 19 in my year in Queensland and I graduated with a dozen or so and we actually we retained a lot um in in my year um so you see the numbers dwindle and then the number of guys and girls that do go on to actually play is is significantly reduced from the start to the finish because it's not the, the traineeship the the pga pathways is not uh pga membership pathways is not really aimed at playing right as far as I'm concerned you can definitely become a player throughout your your traineeship you can you can develop that if you haven't quite yet but you know I, I just you, you got to go Q schools and tournaments you've got to be getting that tournament experience from the get-go so I get really worried for the guys that think they're going into a PGA membership pathways with with the 
idea of playing. Um, okay, yes, your, um, your PGA qualification is going to be a great backup, but the number of guys that do take that next step into continuing the playing, it's, yeah, I think it's much better to, to focus on the academics and get that side of it down pat and make sure that you do have a long career in the golf industry, which is, you know, the industry that we all love. I think yeah, yeah yes, I'm, we're, I'm on, the, on the same page there with you on that one. It's just if you if you if you if you're going to be a player, you are doing the pathways program because you're already bypassing that stuff. If you've got that that playing talent, you are doing tool schools essentially. So yeah, that makes makes so much sense to me. Yeah, I mean, not trying to dishearten anyone or say that it's not possible to be done. It is, you know, there are guys out there doing it, but it's just it's it's a lot. Um, harder, I think, to go it is. the the membership pathway than you know Q schools. And we're talking maybe three players, and they're only in Australia. I haven't, I can't think of anyone that's had gone overseas and done super well from the pathways program. So and not you. not in recent years either. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so talk me through the Hills program because I'm curious about that. So you you were that's for people that don't know, Hills is a golf school based in, in Queensland where you're essentially doing. Um, high school and golf coaching as well. So talk me through what the coaching was like and what the what a typical training week was like at Hills. So everyone thinks it was just this. Uh, there's, there's two kind of perceptions, people that know about the golf program and people that don't. People that know about the golf program are like, oh, okay, so you, you pretended to go to school while you just played a heap of golf. <laughs> like, mm, I wish that was the case. <laughs> So um, I was in they we had such a large um, group going through the golf program and I was in there that we had your Monday Thursday groups and then your Tuesday Friday groups. So I was in the Monday Thursday group. Um, we would go to school in the morning as per usual um, at whatever start times were I can't remember it was that long ago now <laughs> um, but you'd start school in the morning you'd go to school all day we did five subjects in grade 11 and 12 instead of the six for your QCE um, you go to school until lunchtime and then you would have your lunch after lunch golf was actually factored in as a subject for us so we would then on a Monday, Thursday, we would go and have lessons, uh, either group lessons, testing, training, playing holes of, of some sort um, until about 4.35 o'clock. Um, and then on Tuesdays and Fridays, we would go to school all day. Um, and then we'd do an hour of golf specific uh, gym program afterwards. And then on a Wednesday, Wednesdays were my favourite, um, we'd go to school in the morning as per usual and then leave school after 11 o'clock and go and play 18 holes. Um, so we still did all of our schoolwork, all of our subjects. And, you know, I was, I was actually talking to a tour pro uh, a little while ago about this. If you're not on tour or trying to make it on tour, treating golf like a nine to five, you're not just getting left behind. You're not even making the car park, mate. This is this is a grind. So most of us were getting to school at six, seven AM, um, practicing our, you know, what we were learning before school, going to school, going to golf after school, even on your, your days where you didn't have coaching and you only had gym, you'd still go and practice before and after gym, right? And you had to do all of your assessments. They, um, and oh, sorry, assessments and homework. Uh, Hills was really good with tournaments and that sort of stuff I found. Um, I gained a lot of tournament experience. They used to do a lot of shuttle buses to the Greg Norman Jr. events. So just... You know, every couple of weeks getting that that tournament experience under your belt as a junior is so, so valuable. Um, and then for the better players and in your later years, generally you looked at travelling to, you know, world juniors, whether that be I did Optimus World Junior in the US and I did uh, Jakarta World Junior in Indonesia. So just 
opportunities that potentially wouldn't have been available other than through guys like Hills. Okay. It sounds like it's a pretty full-on program. So it would suit, suit certain people, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some people that thrived in that type of setup and some people that might have thought, well, this is a little bit overwhelming. But I suppose you, you get a taste of what what tool golf would, would be like, I suppose. You get, it, you get it thrown at you in that junior that junior space. You're essentially full-time golfers. Yeah. Um, Gives yep. you a nice little, little taste of it. So did you see anyone get to that stage where they said, nah, screw this, I'm not doing golf anymore? Oh, yes, yes, all the time. And yeah. honestly, I got to that point. Okay. Um, so what not a lot of people know is that before I started my traineeship, I'd actually given up golf for 18 months. Okay. Um, I finished up my grade 12 at Hills and – lost a lot of love for it. Um, practicing and playing and doing everything golf related seven days a week really starts to take a toll on you. And, you know, I probably wasn't um, necessarily uh, paying attention to myself and what I needed as well. So, I wasn't really having rest days or anything like that. I, you know, had little trips here or there, but everything was so golf-centric that I just, I got over it. Um, And there's still only a handful of students that I graduated with that are still playing golf or playing golf at a professional level. So Anthony Quayle, Maverick Antcliffe, Jake McLeod, Corey Crawford, um, those guys are the guys that I know that are still out there and, and, and doing quite well. You know, Anthony <laughs> did really well last time he was in Brizzy. Um, you know, there, there's still those of us that have gone, you know, more of the membership pathways or still working in the golf industry but not not playing at the professional level that we were kind of or working towards or, or what we thought we were working towards. So, yeah, you see it okay. happen a lot. Yeah. yeah it's, um, okay, so I'm curious now because obviously you've, you've got some sort of enjoyment back into it and went through the Pathway program and got out there as a PGA pro at the end of it, which is which is great. And again, it's a, a common question I ask women that come on the podcast is what – so you've gone out there into the golf industry – you're probably coaching, doing some sort of shop hours, working involved in at clubs, which are, again, traditionally ale-based. Um, what are some of the good things about that and what are some of the problems you've faced in that, in that environment? Oh, I don't want to dwell too much on the problems. Okay, um, that's fair enough. We can, we can touch on those, but I don't like to dwell too much on that sort of stuff. Um, it is definitely a space where females are underrepresented. Um, so especially early on when, you know, now that I'm in a club and everyone knows who I am and what I'm about and cans are small, so I'm not getting just randoms walking through. Um, I found it a lot more in Brisbane. You get someone come in needing some sort of golf advice or repair, wanting to buy a club and, oh, yeah, I need to speak to the boys. I'm like, okay, well, I can actually help you with that there if you'd like. Oh, no, I really, really think I need to speak to the boys. And it, it does um, does hurt a little bit um, just when people sort of don't see your value just because you are a female and think that your information and opinion is maybe not as valid as the boys. Um, so that that's a tough one. Um there is still um, bits and pieces of, of sexism around, um, you know, as much as we're making strides to take a few of those things out, it, it's still there. Um, so I actually love nothing more than on a comp day. Uh, I'm not allowed to go in the comps. So I just play for my handicap and goof around with the members. So I usually play off the men's tees um, unless I'm putting a card in for proper handicapping and I, and I have to play off the ladies. So I usually play off the men's just as a little, well, you know, I can do it too, guys, kind of thing. Love it. Love um, it. 
<laughs> so I I love that side of things and it's always fun. I was um, <laughs> my partner that I'm with now was actually working at a driving range in Brizzy for a bit. So I'd um, go out and hang out with him while he was working, let him do his job obviously, but I'd go and hang out at the range, wait for him to finish up. And I'd be standing on the range hitting golf shots in, you know, jeans or leggings and just a normal shirt. I don't think you always have to be long pants, icons, collared shirt to play golf. I think that's a little bit a little bit old. Um, I, don't get me wrong, I enjoy dressing like a golfer sometimes. It makes me feel, you know, really nice to walk out in, in a nice set of pair of pants and the, the really nice button-up shirt, but let me wear some leggings, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was rocking up to the range and just hitting some shots and, man, if I missed one even half a foot left of target, I'd have three guys in my backswing telling me I'm doing this, doing that, standing too close, standing too far away, this, that, and the other thing like they enjoy doing. Uh, so I started teaching myself left-handed um, when I wasn't doing a proper practice session so that I could, you know, do a little bit of a brie kind of thing, uh, hitting left-handed, goofing around. You'd have some guy come in and try and help you with your golf swing. So I kind of turn around, have a little bit of a laugh, flip the club upside down, smash it out there right-handed and be like, actually, mate, thanks for your help, but no thanks. Um, <laughs> so because of some of the prejudices, um, I like to play on those a little bit and go, well, you think I didn't know what I was talking about, but surprise. So I do. I can. I, I, I can play this game. I can do the things. Don't worry. <laughs> like, I got this. Probably better than you do. So, yeah. It's, it's got to be a challenging space and <sighs> – you would hope that it was it's changing now, but it still keeps popping up in these conversations I'm having um, that, you, that we're still seeing this stuff and hopefully we can get the information out there a little bit more and stop those stupid people essentially what they are is, is um, yeah, it's just, it's, it has to be frustrating for you. I just, I, I can only imagine how frustrating it actually is for you. I mean, at the start, it was, it was something that used to get me really wound up and I'd be like, you know, I'd, I'd walk out doing a repair and someone would be, oh, you know, don't get your hair caught in the, in the you know, tape or the drill. I'm like, man, I know how to use power tools. Like it's, it's not an issue, um, but it has become less frequent. Um, I don't know if that's a, a sign of times changing or if people just recognize, you know, that I am actually a golf pro now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like water off a ducks now when, when people just, you know, fob me off cause I'm a chick. It's, oh yeah. All right, mate. You go down the road and get some crappy advice from your mate that plays off a really high handicap that thinks he knows what he's talking about. Like you enjoy that, see how that assists your golf and, and I'll just continue doing my thing, enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah. So, so talk me through some, some ideas that you've got to get more, women and girls in the golf you were talking before about wearing more comfortable clothes obviously instead of having to wear the the formal golfing gear all the time um what are some things that we can do as the golf industry in general to get more more females into the game make it a more female friendly space um and yeah as as you said you know we're we're working on things like changing the dress code like and it's not just females either um, I'd have mates come down from the gym that just wanted to go for a bash for nine holes. They'd be in, you know, nice pair of shorts, plain white t-shirt and some joggers. And you got to turn him away because he's not got a college shirt on. Like, really? He's just about to hand over cash and, and I can't take it because he's in the wrong shirt. But don't worry, I can take old Bill's cash that's still wearing a shirt from, you know, the 1980s that's faded and has mothballs in it, but don't you worry because it's got a collar. Like it just made absolutely no sense to me. So we've um, up here, we've worked really hard on, you know, breaking down some of those barriers. We've got uh, women-only clinics and that sort of thing. Um People, uh, we actually in Cairns have more females in the golf shop than we do males. 
Um, nice. And it's it's a really nice uh, space for females to walk into. Um, they they feel a little bit more comfortable. You know, you walk into even the gym, for example. You walk in at sometimes in the gym, and it's just guys there. And you know, I'm I'm still going to go in. I'm still going to do my thing, but it's just that little bit of discomfort. So placing females in spaces where they may not necessarily have been before, i.e. in the golf shop, um, yeah, makes it um, a lot easier for women to access them. Makes sense. And I've heard it um, I've heard it said on a, on podcasts about um, if you can see it, you can be it. And mm-hmm. if you, you make women golfers more visible, um, then it has to encourage people to get involved. So hopefully that's a, a step forward. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, as I said, I just, I, I can only, I'm coming from a white male privileged background, so I've got no no concept of what people like you have to go through to get into some sort of equal footing. It's just crazy. Mm. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm white female that's pretty strong and pig-headed in my own right, so I'll insert myself into spaces where I'm not always wanted and, sorry, mate, I'm here, deal with me. Um, I've heard... A number of other girls have a lot more issues with things and it's just it's really it's really hard too because they feel like they're in the wrong you know and it's it's not it's not you babe it's it's him or it's them it's you know you're just trying to enjoy golf and 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 your passion and you know it's it's that it's that person's issue not yours but they they take it on and, and think it's personal which is really sad I think yeah, I agree. Stubborn and pig-headed, that's not you. You're not You're not like that, are you? I, no. I don't believe that. Not at all. Not at all. I, I think the first training school we uh, – do you still remember that one? I recall quite a few phone calls and conversations <laughs> over the journey from you. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's, all, that, that's all part of the fun. I always recall chats and – We'll call them conversations, but they're essentially complaints. But let's let's let's, let's call them conversations for now. Um, I, I like assisting with feedback. Um, <laughs> it's just providing feedback, and I think you were screening my calls for a while there. But never, never. at the end of it, we always got to the bottom of of whatever was going on and and, and got things sorted. So I always appreciated getting on the phone with you because even if there was something major going on, you you sat down and went, okay let's work through it so that's why you always got the microphone calls sorry always part of the fun so that's all good <laughs> uh, that's all good um okay so let's get into where you're headed i want to i want to talk about this and um i'm, I'm going to come back to some stuff that i want to cover off on in the future but i'm keen to know about this further study so you know you're going off to study psychology which mm-hmm. um i did one subject of that when i did my master's and it's a very cool space to be involved with, by the way, and I think um, it's a really cool space. But that was hard enough for me just doing one subject for one one semester. So I can only imagine what it's like doing a full site qualification. So talk me through the thought process about going down that path. Well, um, obviously, now that I've run you through my background, you can see I like to be busy. Um, I do not do very well with being bored. So once I kind of finished up my traineeship and moved to uh, far north and settled in here, I was, you know, coaching and I was in the shop and I was enjoying it, but I just felt unsettled. Um, I just, something was a bit off. And I sat down and looked at myself and I said, can I do this for the next 50 years of my working career? Yeah, yeah, no worries. I could definitely make a career out of it. There were pathways there for me, no worries. But I just didn't feel like I was assisting people in the best way I could. Um, So I was coaching and my clients were getting results and it's always really fulfilling when that happens. But I just um, struggled a little bit with imposter syndrome as well. Um, so I just, I didn't quite feel like that was my space to be, but when I sat down and started recording my lessons and, and working out, you know, making notes of what we were working on and, and actually combing through those, I realized that I wasn't, you know, there are, there are definitely technical aspects that I was working on, uh, with my clients, but I was 
inadvertently working on a lot more psychological aspects than they definitely had no idea. Um, and then when I sat down, I was like, oh, right. I'm, I'm actually getting results through instead of, you know, fixing the swing and making it a technically perfect swing, I'm out there helping them score. I'm out there helping them get that ball in the hole because I know that the initial discussion we had in training schools and I remember very vividly was um, drive for show, putt for dough. Um, I, you, you brought up the statistics of, you know, long drive is um, much more um, helpful in shots gained and I just, you know, I was someone that could hit the ball a really long way but uh, could not, sorry, could absolutely not get my scoring together and I'm going, no, no, <laughs> that's, that's not right. I know that the numbers say otherwise but you have to get the ball in the hole. So I was working a lot more with that sort of thing and um, started, you know, looking at, you know, helping people with an actual degree behind me and making sure that what I was teaching and, and what I was doing with my clients was correct. So I started looking at psychology pathways and um, had, you know, my, my PGA traineeship behind me, which helped me um, get some RPLs and that sort of thing towards the psychology degree. So I'm kicking along with that part-time while I'm doing full-time work in the shop and loving it but um yeah eventually looking to assist elite athletes with holistic wellness because nice. i don't i don't see many people that can play if your head's not right you know just thinking about the conversations i was having with guys in my traineeship there was one guy in my second year who just played the absolute lights out could not have won more events or placed in the top 10 anymore was just ridiculous and then he had some personal things go on and all of a sudden he couldn't break 80 and it was just really um in your face um to see a guy you know of that caliber of golfer go from just shooting the absolute lights out to to can't even get the damn thing in the hole because of what's going on with his head um and I think you know too many people are worried about you know oh we'll we'll just talk about golf like I don't I don't care you know pre-shot routine's a big thing warm-up on the range is a big thing but if you're not doing well in life outside of golf everything then comes onto the golf course and, and you're sitting there worrying about, you know, oh, should I have said that to the missus last night? Oh, you know, this is not feeling great. And you're just, you're not there. You're not present and you're not able to perform. It just makes so much sense. And it sounds like you've, you've got your head screwed on well here because you're essentially targeting yourself to all golfers and all sports people, which is great. And we've had this conversation with different guests on the podcast as well is the fact that, as golf coaches, we traditionally focus too much on technique and you've got two issues there. You've got the average player that hasn't got the time to improve their technique anyway, so you'll improve them by strategy, routines, all psych stuff, um, and then you get to the high-performance players, they've probably got a pretty good technique anyway, so you don't have to touch it too much and you can start playing around with the performance aspects of their game so sounds like you've hit a pretty good target market there which is good yeah yeah trying to anyway but i can certainly see a part two or a part three or a part four of this podcast coming on as you progress through your studies and we'll see as you get closer to those goals i'll be curious to get you back on the show yeah. and um, see where because that performance coaching field is really intriguing to me and you see guys like Dave Allwood, for example, who's been at coaching summits over the years with the Australian PGA and working with different sports on performance-based stuff. It's just a really cool way to um, to see improvement um, without working purely on technique. Yeah. I and think that's, uh, that's I great. think, you know, for example, you look at the number and, and it's been uh, prevalent in the media lately, which is why it pops into my head, um, the number of NRL and AFL players that are finishing up their careers 
and then really struggling with mental illnesses, whether it be suicidal tendencies, depression, anxiety. Man, some of them are struggling with eating disorders because they don't know how to do it without this giant team around them to support them. And they all of a sudden lose that. Whereas I feel like if they had that support and were able to understand and nurture themselves throughout their career, they'd be set up better to continue that afterwards. And I'm not criticizing what anyone's doing at the moment. I just, I'm, I'm seeing these guys and, and they're struggling and I'm so grateful that they are speaking out, okay, because, you know, speaking about things destigmatizes them. But I just feel like if we spoke about these things earlier, then we may not have to worry about them later on and and when they get to a point that you know the depression is so bad that they're harming in in whatever way um so yeah nipping it in the bud nice and early giving them the foundations should make better well-rounded humans i certainly think it's an, an evolving space because you think even probably 20 years ago we didn't have any of that kind of stuff for athletes either they didn't have any coaching or training for what they would do after their career as you said they get i mean that's in that um situation where they've got their team support and then they can't cope when they get out there and you see there's some pretty significant people out there that have struggled after their careers so it certainly is an evolving space and it sounds like you're really in that in that charge forward to improve it even further mm, trying to which is which is really cool so it, where do you see yourself sitting in that space when you do finish, when you do graduate? How are you going to set your, your 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 coaching up in that space when you get through? I am hoping to base myself predominantly online. Um, so you see, and especially with the COVID situation, um, you see a lot of uh, psychology sessions happening via Skype and that sort of stuff. And I think that... And, and just supporting people even remotely. Like, you know, I, I see a psychologist and I think she is absolutely fantastic. Um, I see her once a month and, and once a month? Yeah, once a month, once every couple of months just to, to check in, make sure everything's going okay. Um, but I find having support groups on the side and that sort of thing can be um, continuously more beneficial than having that, you know, sit-down session. So I think um, working myself into an online space and, and having constant interactions with people, whether it's messages, um, timetables, workshops, that sort of thing, and the Skype sessions is that's sort of where I'm looking to go. Um, but I do have a number of years to go. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, the psychology degree is quite long, and especially when you're doing it part-time. So I, I feel like I've got plenty of time to work that out. But, yeah, just basing myself up here. So how far through it are you if you're doing it part-time? How far have you, have you got into it? Two years. Two years. You've been yep. doing two years part-time or you're two years through oh, the degree? I'm I'm too. Um, I'm into my second year of my degree now, so okay. it's a four, uh, three-year bachelor's, and then a two-year master, three-year bachelor, and then a two-year honors afterwards. Sorry, I'm yeah, a little bit right. Um, but yeah, so I got I got plenty of time to get through it, and and just cruising instead of, you know, I've, I've spoken to a couple of people. Oh, you know. It, it's definitely possible for you to work full-time and study full-time. And, yeah, it 100% is. But would I enjoy it as much? Would I be producing good work at my workplace? Would I be pr producing good assessments? And would I be a nice person to be around? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. So it's doable, but I'd rather, you know, kind of cruise through it a little bit more and, and make sure I get the best out of it. Yeah, and that, that that seems to make common sense. You you still have to have some sort of outside life. You don't want to kill yourself in the first if just for five years just to get through it. You want to be able to enjoy life as well. So, and as as we sort of spoke about, you you see that in young athletes. I I burnt out with golf. Like I don't want to push myself through this and then get to the end of it 
hating psychology, having done a degree that I now don't want to use. So I think, yeah, taking taking a lower gear and, and actually in making sure I enjoy it the whole way through is much more important. So you're getting into your second year, so you probably, you've probably covered a, a fair few different topics. Is there anything that's jumped out at you early on that you think, wow, I was so wrong with this in my own, my own career or I, I could have done this and changed this? Um, I, I want to say yes, but I don't think so. I, okay. I really don't think so. I think um, the way I've evolved through my career has, has led me to, to where I am now. Had I had a couple of things go a different way, um, I might not be sitting here having a chat to you. So I think every part of it is definitely important. Um, I probably didn't place enough importance on psychological and you know just general well-being early on in my teenage and adult years you know eating lots of junk food not working out and why do I feel like crap and have no energy like oh you know making some healthy changes earlier on probably would have been much more beneficial um the thing that really got me was uh the nature nurture debate that's one that sticks with me um Obviously, understanding zygotic and digizygotic twins um, and the way that, yeah, nature actually has a stronger prevalence in development than nurture. Um, They do both work hand in hand, but nature does have that um, slightly higher reach. So understanding that, you know, sometimes there are things that you're just not good at because you just not good at them you can learn um and you can try your absolute best but you know some people are born with natural abilities and some people aren't and that's that's the way it is okay i'm gonna word you up now you might be more part of a panel discussion at some point in Ooh. time because i've got myself as the as the golf coach and then i've got um people that tune into those podcasts would know scotty as the exercise guy that comes on the podcast as well so to put a psych in that mix as well would be pretty cool so You've been you've been told that you might have to come back at some stage. Oh, uh, right. twist my arm. <laughs> to me, come and talk a some, panel. Oh. <laughs> oh, to come and talk some more. So that'd be that that would be really cool. Um, okay, so you said you as part of your study, you're going on to some post grad type study. So you research topics. What do, what's catching your eye at the moment to to research to to do that? Um. Oh. I have to be careful to not get myself in trouble and um, put myself as an outcast amongst my peers. I am very interested in understanding the way that elite athletes develop socially. Um, I feel that um, elite athletes that are like junior elite athletes spend so long honing their craft that they don't necessarily socially develop with their peers. And I obviously, as a golfer, I focus very heavily on golf. Um, It may potentially not show as true in team sports, but I just see a number of um, for, for want of a better terminology, and please no one get upset at me, emotionally stunted um, development in, uh, yeah, in, in elite athletes that, that were so busy playing golf and, and, you know, being on their own as a junior, um, grinding away, they're, they're not always the most um, socially adapted um, ad- uh, adults, yeah. Sounds like a really cool topic, though, and just to let everyone know that uh, please send all complaints and comments to the social media handles in the in the show notes for this one. If you want to have a have a, have a crack at Brie, you can you can go through her socials. But um, again, it, it does. But and there's so many um, cases of that. You, you you see it out there. So to have that as a as a topic that you want to research um to improve is 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 great i don't see that as a as a as a as a problem at all i think that's really cool yeah i just i've spoken to a couple of people and what 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 do you mean like i'm i'm socially developed i'm like i'm not talking you in particular i'm talking like 
throw me in that category as well. I'm not the most socially inept person out there. Um, so yeah, I'm like, Hey, this is, I'm not criticizing. I just want all of us to be better. Like, and yeah, that's what it's about. I think. But again, that's, that's just people all over the world. They take things so personally. It isn't, it isn't all about you. It's about in general. Okay? Yeah. Calm down. Yeah, just relax. Take a chill pill. That's it. <laughs> now, um, th- that sounds really awesome. And I'll just say, I'm, I'm definitely going to get you back on the podcast to talk about more once you just keep progressing through your study. I think that's a really cool goal and aim that you've, that you've got there, which is which is awesome. But I just wanted to cover off on a couple of other things with just taking you back to your golf a little bit. Um, you've got a pretty significant presence on social media and you do some work with some, some people, Golf for Girl. He's uh, someone that you're involved with. Um, you've also been on TV in that holy moly game. We saw holy you moly. <laughs> playing yeah. that as well. But um, talk me through what Golfer Girl is and how that works and how you use socials inside of your to promote golf and to promote yourself. So I am pretty airy-fairy with socials now. I post what I want, when I want, and when I want to engage. I did get quite into producing content a while back, and it was just not fun for me. Um, The fun was definitely taken out of it. Um, I took things very personally um, when that was happening, you know, Everyone has an opinion because they see something in a little square. So I didn't quite enjoy getting attacked over people's misconceptions. Uh, So I kind of backed off on that. Um, But Golfer Girl aims, well, the reason I work with Golfer Girl is raising uh, raising money and raising awareness for charities and, you know, using that misconception that a somewhat attractive female can't hit a golf ball because there is nothing better than standing up on a tee, goofing around on a long drive with a bloke and smashing it 20 past him, right, (laughs) which happens more often than not on those days because they are quite charity, quite corporate related. It's always great when I get like a group of actual golfers through and they've like punched it 300 down the fairway and I'm like... I can't do that, okay? Like, <laughs> I hit it about as far as your average bloke. You guys just keep going off, off your pop, boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we are kind of, I think, and, and maybe Jazz is probably one a little bit to talk a bit more on this. Um, Jazz is, you know, the one that runs the show. I just kind of pop in whenever she needs me to and um, make sure everyone's having a good time. Um, but yeah, just challenging those misconceptions and, you know, having some fun while we're out there. Like we have so much fun on course. I know that when I post videos, it's, it's always just me on my own. Cause I feel weird being that person. Like, can we get a selfie together? Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll rock out on course in between because when there's a group there and when I'm, I'm having a chat to someone, you've got my full attention right where we are here we're having fun okay it's not always about the socials um the socials are a lot of fun and and it's very engaging and and showing people a different side of golf too okay charity days and corporate days are some of the best fun if you gave me you know hey Bree, we're going to run a tournament we want the best tournament ever i'm a playing ambrose right? I love Ambrose, all right? You actually get to engage with the rest of your group. Um, So yeah, just, you know, not all of my followers are golfers. So it's nice to to get it out there that, hey, golf isn't all fuddy-duddy. We can get pretty, we can stand up there in a dress, we can bash some shots. Um, You know, sometimes they have us, you know, uh, handing out samples and sometimes there is alcohol involved of which we always have RSAs and, and ticking the boxes making sure we're doing the right stuff but just showing that the bit more of a fun side of golf than you know what is always uh, misconceived by others. And that is probably the key thing is when you when you see the social media posts come out from Golfer Girl it is it's about making golf fun and it is that it's not that's stuffiness that people think golf's all about it's it's they're 
you're out there having a good time and you're you're playing around and um yeah in, in enjoying yourself which is a huge positive so if you are tuning in jasmine i do want you on the podcast at some stage so i might get your contact details from Bree, maybe hit you up to come on and have a chat to me about Again, about changing the conception of what golf is all about. And um, I know she had a big day just recently, didn't she, I think, um, for yeah, the cancer, was, cancer one? Uh, yeah, that was uh, the Christine Finlay Memorial Golf Day. Um, so Jasmine's mum actually lost her battle to pancreatic cancer a couple of years ago. So Jasmine runs that whole day. Um, normally, you know, someone will run an event and contract Jazz to, to come in and, and do the golfer girl thing. But um, Jasmine ran that whole day herself and I've just got shivers now thinking about it. It's just, it's such a beautiful way for her mother's memory to live on and, and raise money for, for pancreatic cancer. Yeah, so, it was cool. As I said, I saw some of the photos and just everyone seemed to be having a really good time out there. And yeah, um, and I'm sure there was plenty of cash that was raised, which is always a positive as well. And 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 the more fun we're having out there, um, it seems you know, I mean, I had an absolute blast on um, Thursday. I'm you know sure you saw on socials juggling and goofing and hitting shots. I had an absolute like the speaker was blasting. I had a dance party anthem playlist going, um, and that was one of the biggest money raising holes um, on the day. Just because I was having fun, so everyone else was having fun, and you know getting everyone involved. So. Again, it, it just makes common sense. Have a personality as a as a coach and as a person involved with golf and sport in general. If you've got that personality, it'll it'll attract people to the sport and to the game. So, makes so much sense. I think there was there was a challenge involved, wasn't there? There was a, a three way challenge. I think there was a dance, a, a practice, and a something else you were trying to do oh, at the same yeah. time. Yeah. So sometimes because you know in between groups. Um, so you usually stand on a tee, don't get me wrong, um, people, there was a group that actually wanted a golfer girl in their group. So they got, you know, Jazz to, to contract a girl to come in and she actually played the round with them, um, which looks really fun. I really want to do that one time. Jazz, <laughs> please, that's me. Um, <laughs> but more often than not, I'm usually standing on the tee, whether it be hitting shots into par threes or long drives for groups. I was actually doing a buy your score format the other day, but we were still hitting shots and having a wow of a time. But in between groups, we have that downtime while everyone's playing the holes. Um, so that's when you'll see me pop on social media, do some videos. And, you know, it's always, you know, you don't want to sit down and, and, and lose the energy that you bring to the groups. So I'm always goofing around between, yeah, juggling and, and, practicing around the tee, hitting shots to the markers and, um, yeah, having a bit of a dance. And I, I put up a little other box if anyone else had any suggestions of what I should do between groups and uh, someone popped up and was like, oh, I bet you can't do all three at the same time. And me being me was like, ah, well, watch this, buddy. Like, no worries. So start out having a bit of a dance, bit of a juggle with the ball. Then I lost the ball off the club. And so I just, you know, turned around and whacked it over the top of the golf cart with a little uh, little flop shot. So a bit of fun. And again, just me being a Really cool. I like it a lot. Um, yeah. Okay, so tell me about Holy Moly. How did you get involved with that? And how did you end up on – Australia-wide TV, sliding yeah. down icebergs, I think, at one point there, weren't you? I think oh, there was all sorts of weird yes. stuff. Um, How did that happen? So the PGA and ALPG actually sent something out even before um, Channel 7 put out casting calls or anything like that saying, hey, you know, we've, we've heard this thing is coming to Australia. They've made a couple of seasons in the US. Um, we'd really like to get some professional representatives on there would you be interested? And I sort of, oh, yeah, why not? What, what have I got to lose? Um, so, yeah, I kind of put my application in and I thought um, they would probably go down the route of, you know, because you're not the whole person that you are. They take snippets of your personality. Um, so I thought they'd head down the route of the fact that, you know, 
Um, I've got a few piercings. I've got a few tattoos. I'm a female. I currently have purple hair. Um, I don't necessarily always look like the, the golf pro that you expect to see when you walk into the golf shop. Um, but they asked if we had any lucky, you know, items and I, I wasn't even thinking and put in that, you know, when I was a junior, I didn't feel like I was going to play a good tournament unless I had my lucky socks and my lucky undies on. And so, of course, I was the chick with the lucky undies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So the lucky undies were packed up and made their way down to uh, Brisbane for filming. Um, We did try and film it in the US earlier, um, but then covid and weather hit so we all had to fly back um and then we just sat in limbo for near on a year and then they uh yeah built the um course down in brisbane and got us most of us back down and uh went through it so it was really interesting to see the production side of tv um and the way that you know i would have done Oh, 30 minutes of a master interview for three minutes of footage that was actually used and you know you you think you say something wrong or, or anything like that or you, you you head down the line that you want to be portrayed and and you don't get the decide on the, the final decision on what actually gets presented to the world um so funnily enough yes i was on slip and slide the one with the giant polar bear up the top of the ice and i think i can tell you that uh, oh well i'm going to tell you that i actually injured myself on that um so i have my family messaging me being like oh you know it was so lovely of your opponent to help you up and i said ah actually um not physically able to get myself up there and um, that sort of thing. And, you know, had a couple of members and and guests that had seen me on there be like, oh, you know, you're a golf pro and you can't even beat an amateur at putt-putt. And I'm like, no, it's not necessarily skill, man. Like, (laughs) it's it's a reality TV show based on luck and you want to have a crack at me for it okay like no worries but it was a really good experience and I think um it was a lot of fun and doing stuff like that I did it you know to show that you know PGA golf pros don't they're not all white male that sort of stuff like they do look like me they do you know we're, we're all from different backgrounds and and just try and again reduce those misconceptions of what golf actually is on national television yeah and that was cool like i said it, it exposes people that probably haven't been exposed to golf to something that is that is golf and like I've, people on the podcast have heard me say quite a few times about my son he plays every sport in the world except for golf but he sat and watched all the holy molies and he was extremely excited when i said i know her she was um, in the training program a, a couple of years ago and now she's um on there on TV, so he was excited. He was very pissed off when you didn't progress to the next stage. So he, he he was he he was very sad that that you um that you you fell out there in that at that at that stage. But no, it was mm. it was good. Again, as you said, it's about exposing people to golf that possibly don't see it and, in general. And the number of juniors that we had after that started airing, like parents just bringing their kids down to hit a bucket of balls. I don't think I've ever handed out that many junior clubs in. A, a couple of months span um it was just you know obviously it was aimed at the kids it was a lot of fun you know rob riggle's quite slapstick and and just very easy humor so it was great to see the kids loving it and a couple of them you know oh, are you the girl from tv I'm like <laughs> yeah you know great to see you out here and and you know it was it was really just um rewarding for me to see that and, and really fulfilling yeah, that's awesome. Um, Bree, thank you so much for your time. Um, I've kept you uh, for plenty of time, but there's a few questions I'd like to throw to everyone, so I'm going to throw those at you before we let you go. So what advice have you got for coaches starting out? Um, be ready to grind, okay? <laughs> um, be ready to grind. You've got to put your head down, get your name out there, get yourself a base set up. Um, you can't just, you know, especially in larger cities and that sort of stuff, you can't just expect people to come to you. 
right? You have to have a, a marketable personality and you've got to love what you do so that people will want to come and see you over Tom, Dick and Harry down the road, right? There are other options. You need to present yourself as yourself and, and, and explore other options too, whether it be jump online or, you know, I, I love um, just messaging people and going, hey, how, how did your round go today? Oh, okay. And, and working on that, you know, slightly psychological aspect of things to, to help them sort that sort of stuff out. So it's not just waiting for people to come to you and, and sorting out their golf swing. Like you've got to look at other options. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Um, again, just you've, all you've spoken is common sense so far through the episode, which is great. Yeah. Um, how about golfers out there or uh, advice for them and apart from staying away from their, their friends on the range that we spoke about earlier? Um, again, grind. Um, speaking to a couple of guys that, that have made it and are on higher-level tours, you know, you, you see the glitz and the glamour and, and the, the fame of, you know, playing golf on TV and, you know, all of the brands are giving you product. It, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't, you don't just wake up one day and go out and shoot eight under at your local club and then, oh, gee, now I can do that. I'm going to go shoot four under each round at a tournament, right? You have to work hard at your game and you have to make sure that you're doing the right things off the golf course to support, you know, what you're trying to work towards. You like it. Great advice for the players out there. Now, kind of, we've kind of covered these these next two questions throughout the podcast, but you said before that you wouldn't change anything in your journey so far. You've, everything's happened for a reason. Is there anything that you, you would change if you had the chance to go back? Um, maybe just pulling my head in and getting my plan sorted a little bit earlier. Um, yeah, like in my last year, I, I went from – failing my playing in my first year and in my last year at one stage I was on the national top 50 um, list of, of playing averages in the country. So I would have really liked to have made a bit more money through my uh, traineeship. It definitely would have helped support the trainee wages <laughs> um, and, and would have just made me feel a little bit better about what I was doing as well. Um, but hindsight is twenty twenty, and we are where we are. So. No, that's a that's a fair enough answer. I've got no no problem with that at all. So, um, we've kind of again also chatted about where you see yourself in the future. But is there anything that you want to add to in five years' time, apart from probably still studying the way you're going? But um, where do you see yourself in the future? Um, yeah, obviously, I, I love it up here in far north Queensland. So yeah, hoping to to base myself up here and work mostly remotely and, and traveling where needed to, to see athletes and athlete development. So if anyone is looking for a sports psychologist in about 10 years time, uh, give me a hoi because I should be about ready to go. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. So that, that's all good. Um, okay. So you're obviously in that, that studying space now. So where do you go for further information? Is there anything that you, any sites you look at or journals you read or anything that you you find out there? As we said before, we were on air uh, before we were on air. I um I read a lot, um, so I struggle to engage with videos and that sort of thing. I'm not like the average person, so basically, however you take information in best, find that source and and just delve right into it. Um, there'll be conflicting reports, so that's where you then start to look at, you know, uh, for me, I get my general information and then I go, okay, hey, this is conflicting with this, let's jump onto, you know, PubMed, um, Google Scholar, etc. Um, so finding, yeah, trusted and reliable source of sources of information. Um, I used to love uh, when I was going through my traineeship just skimming through um uh, Golf WRX and My Golf Spy. Um, just you know, they had some really good experimental things going on there, as well as the um, the forums. Oh, the forums are um, interesting and amusing, and um, <laughs> sometimes very conflicting, um, but can be a good place for you to start with your information and and remember to relate things back to yourself too. 
right? Like, you know, as, as I said before, you've got, you've got all the data in the world that says um, sh- there's more shots gained in, in the longer clubs than there are short game. But for me, I'm sitting there going, no, no, that doesn't quite align with what I identify in my game and in others' games. Um, so, yes, that data is fantastic. You've, you've definitely got to get the ball down towards the hole, um, but, you know, hey, it, it might be a, a somewhat of a difference of opinion. <laughs> the forums can be a challenging space, but they are certainly worth checking out because you can find find the right people there in those forums to be able to to, to chase up and talk to some more. Oh, so. yeah. And like the guy that's, you know, got a blah blah username with no picture and just pops up every now and again to throw some rubbish, probably not a great source of information. <laughs> right? Very true. There's, there's loads of those out there. But yeah, looking at where the information's coming from. Plugs. Okay. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch or continue the conversation? Is there any, anywhere that you want to send them to? Uh, complaints department straight to Brent. Um, <laughs> uh, as I said, I do like constructive criticism, but if you're just out to attack me, please no. Um, generally, Instagram is the best place to find me. So uh, finding underscore Brie, like the cheese. Um, so, yeah, all one word. Um, not actually on Facebook, so probably don't go looking for me there. Um, otherwise, if you need to email or anything like that, bweb at pgamember.org.au and um, I should get back to you at some stage. But if it's just a complaint, it's probably just going to go to the junk. That's it. That's the Trolls are not wanted. So mm. you can feel free to stay away. I'll put some links in the show notes to everyone so they can get in touch with if they need to. But thank you so much, Brie, for your time. I really appreciate you coming in and chatting to me. And as I said, I can definitely feel part two, three, and four coming on once you keep progressing through your study. So really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you being asked um, to be on here. And, yeah, it's uh, first podcast and I haven't had an anxiety attack yet, so we're kicking goals. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Bree. <laughs> Thanks so much, Brent. Take care.